Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the A and After Show. Uh, this week it's me, Lindsay Leverage, along with James Beckett. Yo, yo, yo. And we are going to be talking about Jujutsu Kaisen, the Shibuya incident arc, and whether it's actually any good. Because all of you told us it was going to be amazing, and we have some thoughts about whether it actually is or not. Um, <laughs> on top of that, we also want to talk about um, Freren, which uh, we haven't talked about it since it first premiered, which was four episodes. But, you know, it's had a couple more and it's going in some new places. There's some interesting stuff um, now that Freerin has joined up with Stark and Fern, and they've encountered demons in person for the first time, and we get some kind of insight on how demon society works. But before we get to that, um, I want to remind everyone, please subscribe to our channel. We are here on YouTube, and is it called X Spaces now? Does it even have a name? I don't know, but we're there, and we're also uh, over on Facebook, and I'm floating us getting onto Twitch because we need to, you know, these social media sites, they're having some trouble. We keep trying to find some more stability. So um, maybe we'll be on there soon as well. Uh, it's always 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern on Tuesdays. Uh, there's also the audio version that goes up the following day, most likely. So if you, you know, you can listen to the podcast on Spotify and uh, Apple Music and Stitcher and all those places, wherever you like to listen um, you can also download the MP3 itself if you just want to listen whenever you want and don't want to have to have internet to do it. So um, before we get into... Like not having access to the internet these days is like a blessing. That's like a, it's almost like whenever I'm out shopping or I'm out like with my wife and I see that I don't have any bars, there's almost like a part of me that's like, ah, freedom. <laughs> <laughs> I am unreachable. Yeah. 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 Um, I get that same sense just whenever I sit down in the movie theaters and I silence my phone, like you can't have mm -hmm. me right now. I'm busy. Um, it's one of those like downfalls also of working from home is that I'm always available. And so some people sometimes just call me and they're like, Hey, are you busy? I'm like, is it nine to five Monday through Friday? Yes. I'm yes. busy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm working. I know they, they have these <laughs> apps now where, um, where students can, can basically text their teachers not like not like on their phone number but it's it's basically like a texting app so they can just send is it, it class them. dojo no no oh. this one's called remind but it's like the same thing okay sure um and of course that means that i have teenagers uh sending me messages at like 10 45 at night being like hey 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 uh i have no idea how to turn in this thing that you assigned a month ago and i never read the instructions that you went over like four times uh, I need you to help me figure out how to turn it in right now. And like, I just why go, are you in bed? Uh, I'm asleep. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, then I have a sneeze coming, everyone. God damn it, it went away. Oh, no. Did you hear like it? You heard it, and then it I, just disappeared. I, heard it. I saw it go back in. That's <laughs> That means the demon's still in here. Um, but before we get to, to our general anime talk, uh, I did kind of want to talk about some stuff that was kind of bubbling on Twitter. We don't have an a and article to coincide with this, so I can't direct you to go read more. But I think Bleach fans or people who are just paying attention to uh, the English voice acting industry probably saw some stuff go down over the last couple days. Um, for those who aren't in the know, uh, voice actress Inaris, uh 
Pinones, I hope I did that correctly, apologize if I did not, um, was announced to be voicing Yor uh, Yorichi in Thousand Year Blood War. And she made the announcement and, you know, this was a new cast casting decision. Uh, the character was previously voiced by Wendy Lee. And then she came, uh, Anaris came back out and said that, you know, there was, they decided to go in a different direction. They being uh, presumably the voice acting studio, Studiopolis, and that she was not going to be completing or appearing in the role, although she had, had already recorded for it and uh, appeared in, a, in one episode, and that it was instead going to um, seasoned veteran voice actress slash uh, voice director, uh, Wendy Lee. And, you know, that sucks. I mean, that yeah. sucks. Just in, that's just, you know, that's not a fun situation to be in in general. You think you get a role and then, you know, you're very excited about it. And Eris had talked about uh, really... Uh, looking up to Wendy Lee's performance and things like that when she uh, first announced the role and then finding out that, you know, whoopsie or something, uh, we're actually going to offer it back to Wendy Lee. And she, uh, Nares on her Twitter explained more in depth uh, recently kind of how that went about getting a phone call and them telling her that they wanted to go in this other direction. I think what no one necessarily, well, I shouldn't say no one expected. I think with the general viewership who, you know, there's this curtain between backstage, front stage, uh, we're probably surprised to see what happened following Anaris' announcement of not uh, ending up in the role. And that was, you know, quite a few voice actors came out to express their condolences. Like, I'm sorry this happened to you. This isn't an indication of your talent. You know, you're great at your job, all these other sorts of things, you know, just supportive comments that I think. Yeah. It's a crappy situation. You want to yeah. help a colleague feel better. It makes yeah. sense. Uh, so um, really surprising to see. And a lot of these have been deleted by at this point, but I did see them at the time that they were posted and there's plenty of screenshots now. Um, for some reason, Wendy Lee took it upon herself to uh, go through these uh, voice actor comments supporting Anaris and sort of suggest that uh, Anaris is going to be fine and she's going to have other roles or, you know, this was this is just the biz that was used quite a lot. Capital T, yes. the, capital B, biz. Yes. Um, recasts are just the biz. Um, no comment on, you know, the initial recast applying to her being the biz, which I found kind of interesting um but just seemed generally very defensive and responding to these comments and because of wendy lee's uh experience in the community and a lot of her work as an adr director um other voice actors started coming forward to say that you know they found those comments to be vaguely threatening there weren't any overt threats in any of you know, but they thought that her commenting to say that she was taking notice of it may have been putting the voice actors that supported Anaris on notice about potential future work. This would all be implication. There's not, there was nothing direct about that. Um, and I think it's, and now, um, like you said, a lot of the original messages have been deleted, but my understanding, and I'm looking at some of the screen caps mm -hmm. that people managed to take, um, and based on everything I see, right, uh, it isn't even like, uh, and of course we're getting into freaking Twitter, social media etiquette, but those things do kind of matter in situations like this. Yeah. Um, it's not like anyone was like tagging Wendy Lee and say, right. and, and, um, um, and I want to make sure I get her name right too. Uh, uh, Anna Reese, um, she, she, she was nothing but gracious. 
Right. I said, thank you so much for the opportunity. You know, it's it's disappointing, but I totally get it. Um, like I'm I'm super happy to have been able to be involved. Like as far as the the professional kind of back and forth expectations go, she did everything right. And then all of a sudden, this industry veteran who's again based on the 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 etiquette of the way we kind of interact on social media wasn't even involved in the conversation. Right. <laughs> like this is someone else's conversation where her friends are basically saying, Hey, that sucks. I'm so sorry. Some people were, you know, I think justifiably a little concerned before, uh, before it got announced that Wendy Lee was, um, was the one who was going to get the rollback. Yeah. You know, people were wondering, well, it, it kind of sucks that, you know, voice actress of color voicing a character of color, suddenly and mysteriously gets fired um you know people the optics on that didn't look great but again no one was like saying anything spiteful or catty right. or anything and then all of a sudden in comes this you know industry veteran like you said nothing threatening but when you're a director producer actress that's been working in a very close-knit community for literally decades to just suddenly like kick down the door to be like, oh, look at the little pity party we're having over here. Isn't that strange? Everyone feeling so bad for little old her, but not little old me. Like you can just, if it was something that happened in person, um, it would be bizarre. Like just yeah. truly bizarre. Yeah. Um, it, it was very much like just kind of like coming in, poking your head and being like, just so y'all know, I see this. Mm -hmm. I, why you know I see it and there was there was there was a defensive tone to a lot of it and um you bring up another really important point there was initially backlash to an being cast at all because people don't well there's the one reason which is people want the original voice and then there's the the worse gross reason which is that people are racist and that's just yeah. That's just what it is. And people will argue, seen on social media media about the uh, racial makeup of Yoruichi, right? Who is a dark skinned character in Bleach, um, has a Japanese name, but that's not, that's, there are. <laughs> there, there are, there are black people in Japan, guys. There are black people in Japan. Afro-Asian people exist, okay? Um, one of them is a phenomenal tennis player for instance. I mean, there's a whole career of entertainers over there specifically. Um, but they that's the argument that, that kind of got brought up. About, and, you know, we see these, these racist comments, you know, diversity higher, those sorts of that kind of bullshit that, you know, it's just inappropriate whatsoever. And Eris is a very talented voice actress. She has, she's done a lot of great roles, including like Mirko from My Hero Academia, for one. Um, I'm sure... She auditioned just like anyone else and earned that role just like anyone else would. Um, but that is an added level of optics for it because now you have um, a person of color coming into the role as the new voice and then that opportunity is taken and it is given back to a white voice actress who has identified the character as being a person of color in her own tweets. So like, that's not an argument that Wendy Lee has put forward that that Yorichi isn't black. That's not uh, something that she's put forward. Um, but detractors of the recast did, and it's just like what this this ballooned, and I you could call this sort of a Streisand effect 
sort of thing. Like people said over and over again, if, if Wendy Lee had just not said anything at all, um, the condolences would have been given. And then this probably would have just moved forward. People would have yeah. side-eyed it. I'm sure lots of people would have side-eyed it, but it wouldn't have turned into what it is, which ended up being a lot of industry veterans, voice actors and people in, involved in, in the community for a long period of time coming forward and being like, yeah, actually this person's kind of always sucked. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That's it's when you get a lot of, um, you know, uh, equally respected uh, talent going, Oh, a big surprise here. Yeah, <laughs> Everyone, uh, our shock is, our shock is infinite that this happened. And it's, uh, that is, yeah, that's a lot worse. I think than any of the, the blowback that would have come from her just, doing the role and right you know. yeah because initially people didn't assume that this was a wendy lee thing they thought it was a studiopolis um like kowtowing to kowtowing to um people who threw a fit over the recast but then after the comments people were like no maybe maybe she also threw a fit and we don't know that for sure but like the behavior didn't give a favorable read about what may have happened behind the scenes. And you got people like J. Michael Tatum coming forward and being like, hey, people who act this way, this is not verbatim. You can go look up what he wrote for himself. I don't have his tweet in front of me, but you know, he, even he like sort of shook a finger at the behavior. And then you've had other people who are, who are not as established, but are still known enough um, saying that Wendy Lee had, or they're alleging Wendy Lee had made people cry in the booth, um, said things like, okay, do what you just did, but better, which it's not good direction really. In no, any that's just, yeah. Anyone that's ever directed anyone, that's just like the, that's the least useful thing you could possibly say. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know that, that to me is just funny. Like, yeah, that's yeah. almost like a parody of a director. That's like what, that's what you see in like a, you know, a spoof of like the, the demanding, uh, unclear kind of, uh, yeah. 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 Just, you know, just someone who, who's sitting in a, in a chair all reclined, but being like, you suck, just do it. You know, can you just do that better? Um, so I don't know, personally never worked with this person. I've not interviewed this person. Um, this is just kind of what the fallout of the particular situation was. Honestly, like I feel bad enough for Anaris just in that, she already had to deliver bad news and probably already felt quite awful about it. Definitely had already dealt dealt with bullshit when she announced being cast in the first place. So for it to kind of grow into, into what it is, is really unfortunate. Now, Wendy Lee has sort of apologized on Twitter. She didn't put it on her own Twitter account. She actually did it as a comment on Anaris's initial announcement for the role. So it's like further down the timeline and most people probably won't see it. Um, but she did make some platitudes about her reaction to seeing her colleagues console Anaris. So that's there. And since then, An Anaris has also come forward and you know, said she doesn't want to talk about this anymore to basically leave her alone on it. Um, she's not going to be answering any, any more questions. She got a phone call about them wanting to go with Wendy Lee after she was initially cast and that she has not personally responded to messages from uh, Wendy Lee at all, which, you know, understandable. I, I think given just how this all sounds like really emotionally taxing, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think the moral of the story is that if someone is being um, as gracious and um, uh, grateful and polite as one could be expected to behave in the wake of a, of a really crappy job development mm -hmm. um, and is, is, is doing nothing but communicating with, you know, the public and with, you know, their fans and all that. And then other people recognize the crumminess of the situation and offer nothing but just emotional support and sympathy. Um, if that is something that makes uh, the, you, the third party, mad <laughs> and <laughs> mad enough to like confront individual people like a dozen times about it. Yeah. I don't know why you would be surprised if people maybe called you out for that being a weird thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> definitely. And there are uh, other voice actors who are talking about this on Twitter. They can talk to this specific point probably better than I can, but they're, the, the racial element to it is definitely there, including how uh, people of color are often, especially black people, are expected to respond to bad news professionally. Like they don't, they are often not given the same amount of grace due to racist stereotypes that exist and are expected to, you know, kind of always be a cut above and far, even when you're really disappointed or you're treated unfairly or things happen that are outside your control or just are, are not fair or considerations not being made. There's, there's an expectation that's put there um, for response that honestly is probably very emotionally stifling and unreasonable. Mm -hmm. So for, you know, I, if I was in that situation, I would probably be a lot meaner and I'll have a lot less grace and consideration <laughs> for everyone. Um, and, but the truth of the matter is, is I could probably get away with it better too. And that's just a, a racial disparity that's that exists that isn't fair. So yeah. just kind of wishing the best for everyone. Um, Bleach remains cursed in general. So yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so James, did I, before we started the show, did I mention another thing I wanted to talk about other than that? You, you did. You did what, indeed. What, what was it? It was Detective Pikachu. <laughs> Pikachu, that's right. Pikachu. All right. All right. Uh, this one's also kind of political. If you go over to Anime News Network right now, my, my review is up for D Detective Pikachu Returns, which is the sequel to a cute little 3DS game where you have a Pikachu that wears a detective hat and it can talk and only you can understand him and you solve little mysteries. And there's, you know, a bigger conspiracy about um, a news organization trying to create a a catastrophe so that they can be the first ones to report on it and control information within Rhyme City, which is where you live. Um, so it's tackled kind of more serious topics before. I did not expect the sequel to go as hard as it did. It is still <laughs> a children's game, um, very approachable. You know, gameplay is pretty straightforward. It's not hard to solve the mysteries or anything involved, but. Um, I'm going to talk about spoilers for Detective Pikachu Returns right now. Um, if you don't want to hear them, then uh, cover your ears until I give a thumbs up sign. That means I'm done. Um, I'll also say spoilers over in the recording version so you can you know when to stop. And there'll be a timestamp when the 
um, podcast version goes up. So, okay. Um, in Detective Pikachu Returns, your dad, uh, your dad has been missing since the previous game. And it's, if you've seen the movie Detective I Pikachu. Have. Okay. So, I mean, that's pretty much the same thing in this one. Like it hasn't been revealed to the player yet, but you know, Detective Pikachu's your dad. So let's just get that out of the way. So, wait, so the movie, the movie got to that detail before the games did? Um, the detail was strongly implied in the original sure. game, so they didn't like conjure it up out of thin air, but it Tim didn't know Pikachu was his dad until this okay. game specifically. So Pikachu's your dad. Your dad's consciousness is in Pikachu, okay? You just gotta roll with that. Um, is your is your Pika dad still Ryan Reynolds or, or do we not get to have the, the He's still a he's uh, he's not voiced by Ryan Reynolds. Okay. But, I mean, he's Ryan Reynolds in my heart. So, <laughs> you know, there was this big incident where Pokemon went berserk and everything that happened in the movie, too. And uh, people died. People were killed by berserk Pokemon in the game. Oh, like they, they, they died? Yeah, like the mayor's wife is just... She's oh, dead. wow. Okay. So, um, so that's happened. Everyone's still kind of in recovery. So uh, they want to foster, like, they want to bridge the understanding and make between Pokemon and people and make Rhyme City feel safe again. So they announced Pokemon Week. Pokemon Friends wait, wait, we, Week. We need to hit pause. Uh, I just had one of those light bulb moments that I need to get out on air so that um, okay. we, can, we can save it for, for a rainy day. Okay. Um, Junji Ito style body horror manga where uh, a kid's, like, mother gets hit by a car mm -hmm. uh, in the Pokemon world. And in a desperate bid to save her, he pokeballs her, takes her to a poke center, but then she comes out wrong. Anyway. I love it. Anyway, Juji Ito actually like did some Pokemon art. You know that, right? I didn't, but then now it's, you can, it's you can, it has to happen. Google it after this, everybody. Okay, so I mean that happens. They Pokemon Friendship Week, right? And hey, you know they've <laughs> they've established um, a new. Uh, select police force specifically to deal with uh, Pokemon related crime incidents. Okay. I love the idea that in the Pokemon universe, Poke crimes are only just now becoming a thing. Like for hundreds of years, it's been sunshine and rainbows, but recently someone was like, you know, what if I use this little fire breathing dragon to do crimes? That'd probably I mean, make it easier. Team Rocket's I mean, Rock been around. But, yeah. You know, yeah, so anyway, I mean, I guess the regular police are always dealt with it, right? But now they've they've established a special force specifically for Pokemon crimes. And hey, they set up, you know, um, cameras around town so that they can get video footage to help with this, right? Um, but Let me guess, the, the PokeCops body cams just always happen to, to get shut off uh, right before the Poke SWAT raid. It's worse. It's worse, actually. Oh, no. oh, um, so, uh, so, but suddenly, all these Pokemon—they're—they're they're being like rounded up and arrested for petty crimes that they don't remember committing, right? But they've got evidence of them on videotape, and all these people are like, you know, they've arrested my Pokemon. I can't go see. You can only visit. There's visitation. Your Pikachu. Gets Wait. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm I'm still catching up on the. So it's the actual individual Pokemon that are doing the crimes. Mm hmm. So like like a little squirtle is like robbing a bank or something. Your right? your Pikachu gets arrested for destroying a statue, so that's like you know like property okay, damage. So little 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 kid crimes. Okay. There's no there's no like murder kidnapping type crimes. All right. It's yeah. It's all like it's all like 
public mischief and, and crap like that. But they're arresting them for it, right? And then it comes to turn out that the chief of police for the Pokemon crime unit is um, using a ditto to look like other Pokemon. And the, they've invented a device that allows you to control them. So they are making this ditto commit crimes so they can ar falsely arrest Pokemon, falsify evidence to arrest Pokemon and incarcerate them because the chief of police is getting kickbacks for sending them to a lab to become test experiments. Man, I didn't know that Los Angeles was the new Pokemon region for the for the games. It's crazy. I was playing this. I was playing this, and I'm like, I'm a Pikachu. I'm in jail. I'm I'm like going through the air ducts to get into other, you know cells to talk to other incarcerated pokemon to ask them like what they did to get inside and everything and none of them can remember and also like a large group of them are dark type and um it's type-based profiling okay <laughs> okay 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 and okay. like again like there's a huge conspiracy specifically to they're arresting so many because they want to make the people of the city um, fearful of Pokemon-related crimes so that they can e more easily pass legislation to require the control devices to be on every Pokemon so they can physically control them. So it's it's basically, it's Zootopia, but with Pokemon. Yeah. But, uh, but also not about, but the main character is not a cop, he's a... Freelance detective. So he's, he's a freelance. Actually. He's a freelance detective with your dad's consciousness inside of him. <laughs> oh. When oh, I yeah. explained this plot, I had to do it on the podcast because every time I explain this plot to someone, I feel like a crazy person. <laughs> like I just now that the, the detect those aren't Western. It's not like a Western studio taking over for Game Freak, right? Like, no, this, this was Creatures Inc. made this game. The writer is Japanese. It's a totally Japanese in-house game production. Okay, okay. I mean, that's you know, obviously the um, the issues that people face with uh, unjust uh, police institutions are by no means exclusive to the Western world. Sure. Um, uh, we've talked before about the. The um, the the foibles of the Japanese justice system. Guys, uh, if you get arrested overseas, we're never seeing you again. You're just, yeah, you're, you're, just, you're, you're, you're just you're gone for like 20 days. No idea what happened unless you you give them some money. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, that's um, I mean, I guess it's kind of like how I was just reading how in Spider-Man Two, the PlayStation game, mm -hmm. they had to. Um, I say had to, based on the feedback they got from a lot of players who were a little uncomfortable with the uncritical way that Spider-Man engages with the police in Spider-Man 1. Mm -hmm. They walked a lot of that back in Spider-Man 2 um, because, you know, in 2023, you just have to be a little more thoughtful about the kinds of police stories that you tell usually. Sure, sure. And it's, it's just so interesting to know that that extends even into the world of Pokey's Mon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um Man. like big finale kind of spoiler without giving away too much it also gets into get out territory <laughs> i think i think i i know what you mean when you say that but mm -hmm. I'm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, just I'm just imagining professor oak just staring you dead in the face and going you know i would have voted for obama three times if i had the chance <laughs> it's like oh god 
Okay. It's not that. It's not that. But it is kind of that. I mean, they're incarcerated. Mrs. Like, you know, Ash, I wouldn't have minded if you dated that little brown island girl. That would have been fine with me. You know, I'm 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 very open to those sorts of things. I think that you know they're they're very lovely people. They're lovely people. It's just like oh no. Like ah uh, yeah. So anyway, um, go play Detective Pikachu Returns. It it wraps everything up, you know. From it's a duology, so there's no cliffhanger at the end. Like that's it. That's you know. Uh, oh, it's like it's Dunzo. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's it's it appears to be Dunzo. There's there's no there's no like threads or or anything, but. Um, I have I have for a long time been a proponent of we should have more duologies. Yeah, like we should be cool with having a part two, but then that could just be it. We don't need a part three. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, but anyway, it's wild, and you can get into it without having played the original. There is like some contextual references to the R incident when they were injecting Pokemon and making them go crazy. Um, but again, you could just watch the movie and basically get all of that. Um, I don't think anyone dies in that though, but it is pretty close. So anyway, I just, movie. you know, that was, a, that was, it was a good was a movie. Good yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just, I had to like, I had to spread that to more people. So I felt less crazy thinking about it. Um, and so with that, we should probably talk about, Jujutsu Kaisen, don't you think? Uh, I mean, we we missed our opportunity last week to thirst over Nanami, so it's okay. We, I still have those screenshots. I still have those screenshots. Let me let me pull up the best one. This is uh, you know, I tweeted. I, think I know what the best one is. Yeah, I tweeted this one specifically, so I'll let you guys all remember this one organically. Um, oh my god, I wish that was me. <laughs> That was that's the tweet. That's the message. That's all you need to know. Um, uh, the so uh, for context, everyone, this is last week's episode, not this week's episode, which we'll also talk about. Right. Um, but we can't pass by the opportunity to to just remark on how um, unabashedly horny on Maine the entire Mappa crew was last week. Like that episode was uh, too horny, almost, almost too horny, almost. Where, Almost. There's not a not not even like a there's there's not an ounce of, of unnecessary skin, but it's still one of those ones where where you're watching it and you kind of feel like you're you're like watching something really intimate that like someone else <laughs> made like for themselves. And you're oh, wondering like, oh, he's no. literally <laughs> beating the shit out of someone the entire time. But you're like, am I supposed to watch this? Like, do you guys need a room? Maybe yeah. like it's just well, it was it was the animators, right? Because I've seen some pretty funny comparison pictures too of uh, Nanami from season one versus Nanami <laughs> yeah. in this scene in particular, and the guy got jacked, okay. And I thought he was pretty hot in season one anyway, because it's a vibe, right? He's an exhausted millennial who works too much and doesn't believe in overtime and gets pissed off if he doesn't get his bread from the bakery, right? And you're like, yeah, he's just like me for real. And then you get into this episode, and he's just like he's interrogating. This happy-go-lucky, fuck-off murderer, you know, he's got pigtails and he wears, I don't know, like a jumpsuit. Kind, kind, of, kind of a twerp, honestly. He's kind of, he's kind of, a little much. Me, yeah, and he kind of gives me clown vibes. So, you know. He, uh, he gives me wannabe clown vibes. Wannabe like, clown he doesn't. Vibes. He doesn't, he doesn't have the showmanship. No, yeah, he doesn't have the showmanship of a clown. He's This is like a, a freaking hot topic scene kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
that'll do all the dumb stuff like at the mall in front of all the strangers to impress his friends and everyone else is like please dude like let's just get an orange julius and go like this yeah yeah i I came here because it's the only place i can still get taco time can you stop you know yeah yeah exactly so i mean unfortunately the scene was not long enough (laughs) no (laughs) it was not long enough nanami was still not in this episode as much as i thought he would be based on the hype because i watched it a little later than uh it came out i just had to i had to find the time to be alone so i couldn't watch it immediately um but yeah that was that was hot shit and it looked and it looked great so you know there was that it did poor uh what's your uh is it uh nita rita Uh, nita the blonde girl Mm -hmm. uh she got stabbed in the butt like a lot and i felt really bad for her (laughs) just right in the cheeks and i was like god damn (laughs) damn didn't he also cut her achilles tendon or something yes he's like god which is just like a nightmare injury whenever they do that in a movie like some kind of magic healing stuff going on because one thing i did notice was she's sitting on that on that ass that just got stabbed yeah like five minutes later like she's just sitting on the couch and i'm like girl yeah are you okay? Yeah, like, you okay? I'm assuming Nanami has some like jujitsu healing something or whatever. Um, yeah, and unfortunately, he does not show back up in the subsequent episode, which you know, their mistake on that. But yeah, this episode, like, it was a good fight. We also got to see some some great stuff from. Um, she's got a hammer, James. Hammer, hammer. Oh, Nabara. Nabara and Nabara, Nabara. Yeah, we see some. You know, she puts in a a good effort. Ends up with a concussion, probably. At least that's what I assume that kind of the ringing and like the disorientation and stuff that happens. She, here got, she got Mortal Kombat x-rayed for a second. I was kind of surprised. Yeah. It looked like her jaw broke. So uh, again, these characters are resilient. I'm glad that they're okay. But also yeah. it, was, it was one of those episodes where I was wondering, how come, how come the little clown boy is the only one that got like super injured? I feel like half of these characters should be like in in like a, a wheelchair at this point yeah right like sort of out of commission so yeah. um i also liked the callback it's real brief in this episode for nanami um to the prequel arc that we watched where he comes up on one of the the dead assistants and he has a, like a flash remembrance of his right. former that's partner's face that's what sets him off oh yeah because what's his name died <laughs> the, yeah, the, the, kid, the, the real hopeful kid that yeah no 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 the the in the present day um, oh right the guy, the the handler. I think he's okay. Dude. I think he's. Oh, is he alive? I oh. think he's alive, but but I mean, he you know he Nanami carried him most of the way around, but when he first came up on him, he you know saw a flash of that high school kid that he had been partners with. So that's what that's what made him mad. Um, sorry, this is just such a it's such a good face, guys. He's got he's got such a good face, but. Anyway, if we're going to talk about current events, I also liked like the part where the ponytail dude begged for his life. That was pretty cool. Um, or not. <laughs> not weird. Anyway. Um, Again, I, I, I think I wrote in the review that um, I genuinely appreciated that they basically animated and uh, uh, directed Nanami as if he were Michael Myers in that episode. Yeah, like, he yeah. truly felt like a slasher villain that just was not being stopped. And yeah. I think we need more of that in our horror action comedy set. Supernatural yeah. Marker. I agree. Um, and I for the, the current episode, this week's episode, let me let me get this zoomed in. Um 
I kind of want to know where you're at, not just with this episode individually, but like with this arc as a whole. Like there has been in in this arc, this episode too. There's there's so much cutaway mm-hmm. that it can get kind of frustrating. Like a good example is I thought I was gonna get to see, you know, sushi ingredient kid do some shit with a megaphone. Like, but it's all implied. We don't really get to see him. Like, yeah, no, he's just kind of. We don't see any of that. Um, you know, Nanami had his big moment, but we kind of don't know where he is. I thought they last episode they set May May up to do something impressive, and we're kind of waiting for them to go back to her too, aren't we? The lady with the brain. Yeah, yeah, she's still with um, um, not Ghetto Brain 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 Monster Ghetto, whatever his name is. Yeah, Ghetto. Yeah, Ghetto. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that was kind of just plucked, you know setup was there and then none of that happened most of this episode is actually um the fight with the blood guy who choso choso and i like i need a refresh like i know that um i keep on calling junichi and that's not right the main character of this freaking show, James. Oh, Yuji. Yuji. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Itadori. That's what I was looking for. Itadori. Um, I know he killed his brothers, although I don't remember that fight specifically from season one. Remember the one where uh, Nobara got like the little sick henna tattoos from the poisoning? It was like, the, uh, yes. Uh, it was the very oh. end of season one. It was Yuji and Nobara versus the two doofy blood poison brothers. Yeah. I mean, I kind of remember remember it sort of like but they kind of seemed like a monster of the week sort of thing is probably where they were in my head so Mm -hmm. all the emotional stakes this guy has for him i mean legitimate they're his brothers right um it isn't clicking for me nearly as much this fight was sick as hell like i enjoyed like watching almost all of it like they really utilized fucking up that bathroom um but they're I don't know. It just it still kind of feels. Yeah, I'm I'm like Gojo out of the box. I don't know. Yeah, when it comes to this arc, I've I'm of I'm of two very opposing minds, honestly, which has only kind of made my feelings on the arc even more mixed. Yeah. On on an aesthetic level, this episode and last week's episode, at the very least, brought the tension, the action, the suspense. That I'd been waiting for ever since we left the flashback arc. Um, and this episode in particular, I actually kind of liked the fact that we didn't get any cutaways to the other plots because it allowed yeah. the episode to just focus on telling the one story of this fight from beginning to end. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I've been thinking so much about the kinds of stylistic um operatic kind of narratively let's say um straightforward stories that work really really well um and my go-to is always uh the john wick movies i think that um i think like stylistically tonally they are very much kind of in a similar wheelhouse to what mappa is going for with jjk and i think a lot of what's kind of bothering me about this arc comes from the fact that with with something like john wick you have, you know, yes, a series of movies, but each movie is like its own standalone thing. Mm-hmm. And so even when, you know, maybe you don't have the highest emotional stakes because it's 
any of the movies other than John Wick 1 and you don't have the whole like dog murder thing to kind of be driving you forward and you're mostly just there for the spectacle and the world building and the cool fights right mm-hmm. um in that movie you have the benefit of it being a, a complete package you know from beginning to end right like you have a full movie tells a complete story um and then maybe there's another chapter or maybe you know that's the end of it and i think for me the the current problem with this arc and really what i tend to struggle with with a lot of uh, even reading a lot of shonen battle manga is that when you take a, a single event right i mean this is one night it's, yeah. it's a single night uh halloween um and you split a single night of events up into weeks and weeks and weeks of storytelling yeah it makes it really difficult even when you have like high emotional stakes to keep that momentum up in a way that feels super compelling and much to the point that you just brought up i think honestly the biggest problem with jujutsu kaisen right now is and i know we've been spoiled by chainsaw man and we've been spoiled by you know attack on titan stories that have this this really incredible sense of, of emotional stakes. I, I don't care about any of the characters in JJK right now. I don't dislike them. Yeah. Um, I care about them more than I would say, like in Demon Slayer. I think that's Demon Slayer's biggest um, drawback a lot of the times is that um, the character work in that show is so simple. And there's like, you know, like with Choso's brothers and like there's, a little bit more there for me to personally latch on to, especially with the weird ass ending of this episode. Yeah. But I just like, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't really like, I know that somehow or another things are going to work out. I'm sure that there's going to be some losses. I'm sure that there's going to be some bumps in the road, but I just, I don't necessarily find myself particularly interested one way or the other and like where things are going to go next every week. Yeah. It's more like I watch the episode and I go, all right, well, that was another chunk of the, of the arc and yeah. we'll see what happens next time. But I'm not like on the edge of my seat going, Oh man, I can't wait to see how that concludes. I'm just kind of like, okay, well, this is the theory it. that I have. And this is something that I was kind of, the, I think now I think both of us really enjoyed the prequel arc at the be- beginning of the season. Yeah. But it delayed us getting attached to the core trio from season one, Nobara, uh, Megumi, and Itsuzori, for mm-hmm. like five weeks. Yeah. And so if that prequel arc hadn't been where it was, and we had instead started and built up to this with having comparable buildup with those three instead... We, I feel like I, at least I would be more invested in it. Instead, I kind of feel like I was suddenly dropped into the middle of something with Itsudori after being away from him since the end of season one. And mm-hmm. so there's just, there was like a bigger, a bigger gap there. We built up a rapport with, you know, young Gojo, young Ghetto, and um, the, well, I mean, the girl who's, who doesn't exist anymore, right? So like we had, we had yeah. that build up. And all of that happened, but then we didn't really get to see a lot of the payoff in the future now that we have that new context. That hasn't mm. really happened. I mean, we kind of got that with the the ghetto Gojo confrontation in one episode, but I mean that's not that's not ghetto anymore either. No. So um, which is again why it kind of feels like if we had gotten that arc and then gotten to watch JJK Zero, I feel like JJK Zero 
after that arc has a whole bunch more like emotional weight to mm -hmm. it with Ghetto's reappearance there. Yeah. Um, we did get Toji coming back. Which is, it's that was so stupid. I, I actually, and again, for those of you that haven't seen the anime, I, I don't even know how to explain it because the, the show doesn't explain it very well. But you have this this granny curse. Yeah. Who can channel who can channel the bodies, like the, the physical forms. Yeah, manifestations. Yeah. Of of like dead people, of, right. of dead of dead things, right? Yeah. And she gives her grandson curse the body of Toji. Because Toji's strong, I guess. Yeah. Even though they're fighting like kind of a nobody. I don't know why they bring out Toji for that particular fight. Yeah. Okay, they do, yeah. right? They yeah, yeah. Toji. And somehow the body of Toji, the form of Toji, I guess the idea of Toji is so strong that he consumes the identity of the grandson curse, essentially just bringing him back to life. Yeah. Which... All right, I get. I mean, and and it's and it's like you said, I was actually there was enough emotion in that prequel arc that I was almost like, you know what? At least here's a villain that I care about. Right. I was like, sweet, whatever. Like that'll yeah. be interesting if, like, uh, you know, if um, Gojo gets out of his box and has to right, and then Toji has to confront again. Toji because he didn't get yeah. to in the previous arc, right? Or sorry, I I misspoke the. The, the granny and the, the grandson were curse users, not not curses. Um, right. That's my bad. That's um, okay. But still, you know, yes. Yeah, I that could be a good confrontation, though, because, I mean, and I was thinking that when he showed back up, I was like, this is the reasoning, whatever, but this is the chance to have Gojo have to face Toji after Toji basically fucked everything up for him in high school because yeah. of what happened that he never got to because... He was, you know, out of commission. He lost yeah. that fight. Yeah. Well, and here, and I've been thinking about this as we've been talking, and here I think is maybe my biggest concern with where JJK is at right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm, and people always think that when we when we say things like this, we're like hating on the show and we yeah. say JJK is bad. No, we're just, you know, talking about it's the pros and cons. Um, but if you, like, take, for instance, Demon Slayer, right? Yeah. A show that I have had no qualms voicing my criticisms with. Yeah. At the very least, we know what I'm completely blanking on the same freaking Demon Slayer boy. Tanjiro. Tanjiro. Thank you. I was about to be like Tanjiro. Like Tanjiro. Yeah. Tanjiro. Um, uh, we know what Tanjiro wants. Yeah. He wants to turn his sister back into a human. He has sure. a goal. Um, his character's kind of flat, which is one of my problems with the character, but he at least has like a goal. And the story is, is kind of building up to whether or not he'll be successful in that endeavor. Plus all the other bad demons and all that. Chainsaw yeah. Man, right? Chainsaw Man, uh, there are lots of goals. Denji has a goal. Power has a goal. Aki has a goal. Um, they have character arcs that you can track where you can see their growth. You can see what they're learning. You can see how they're developing as they are individually kind of learning to appreciate each other as a family. And then, you know, Stuff happens later in the story that I won't spoil because the anime is only season one. Yeah. Um, in you know, My Hero Academia, right? You have Deku who wants to be a hero and live up to point being, you have these characters with these really, in some way, shape, or form, concrete 
destinations where as a viewer, you in your head, as you're watching whatever arc we're on, can track, hey, where was character, you know, here? Where are they now? Um, because that is what keeps you invested in a story, right? Even Dragon Ball Z, you know, yeah. Dragon Ball Z, we got to kill Frieza because he's going to blow up the whole freaking earth. And yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to save our family. But with Jujutsu Kaisen, the, the weird pacing of the show, because we went season one to prequel arc movie to even more prequel arc half season to jump back to the very end of season one. I, I don't know if I can really tell you, like, yes, uh, uh, Yuji has Sukuna, who's shown up all of like four times in the past year, it feels like, to do nothing. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't know if I could tell you like what the characters, what the, what the emotional stakes, what the emotional arcs of our three ostensible main characters are, other than, oh crap, a bad thing is happening and it's our job to stop it. Right. But like, I don't know where, like, I don't know what Megumi stands to gain or lose as a character. I don't right. really know what Nobara stands to gain or lose as a character, other than the obvious dying or not dying. I get right, that. Right, right. Yeah, I'm yeah. saying, but on like a narrative level, right? It's not like I can say, oh man, you know, if if something happens to Gojo, then, you know, Yuji's not going to be able to XYZ or, oh man, if they can't rescue Gojo in time, then Megumi, you know, it's, it's also like, they're all being very reactive. They're just reacting to this crazy plan that they don't even really understand. Yeah. And I kind of feel like I'm in their shoes or I'm just sort of waiting to know what's actually going on. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think that, that kind of muddles a lot of it. Uh, 31 Moth 13 wrote in here, um, if anything, Yuji seems defined by a lack of a goal Against Choso, he's fine with dying if it means the other characters can rescue Gojo in his place, which is true. He's, he seems to regard himself more as another piece on the chessboard, but not the most important piece by any means. And all that really matters is keeping Gojo alive because he is what keeps um, Sorcerer Society, you know, everything standing and not being overrun by people like Get Ghetto and, and whatnot. Um he also brought up uh, Sukuna, who who does appear in this episode briefly. Don't really understand what he did. Was kind of weird, but mostly maybe the most interesting part of the episode. I mean, the fight well, was but really... I don't... Did he do anything? I don't even know if that was him at the end. That was... Like, that's the thing where it's like, I don't actually... Like, was that Sukuna? Are we talking about the same thing? The weird yeah. little... <laughs> I mean, like, so he shows up and then... We never see him, and the camera also works in a way during this scene where it seems like they're specifically obscuring, um, chose like some kind of damage Choso has taken, right? Like the camera is always angled in a way where like you can't see his stomach. So I'm like, mm -hmm. what happened? I don't really know exactly what happened. He just has some weird mental breakdown where he sees his brothers alive, but Yuji is maybe also one of his brothers and they're all eating together. And all of it is shot like it was on um, a handy cam that you might've had in the early aughts or something, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, oh, stylistically like, cool. Stylistically, I thought it was pretty cool. Did not like understand what this meant though. Well, okay, so this is not the first time this has happened in the okay. show, right? Okay. Because if you remember, um, way back in the school tournament arc, mm -hmm. um, he's fighting, he fights Toto, mm -hmm. and 
uh, all of a sudden we get, and then it's played as comedy. Right. We get that whole thing where, where uh, Toto is suddenly filled with this vision of like the, the Dujin life that he could have lived where Yuji is his best friend and brother oh, yeah. and then their best friends. And then we have this where once again, uh, in a much more serious way, we have this moment where like suddenly a character seems almost supernaturally like mind altered to believe in some way that Yuji is like literally like a lifelong family member. And yeah. I'm like, is this like, is this like his power? Like, is this and like, like, like what spaghetti. is it? He feeds him spaghetti and the spaghetti is really good. And like, that's essentially it. Um, and then I think, are those the two girls that, um, that those are the two girls who are, yeah, that are attached to ghetto, but are not down with get using his body this way. And so they're probably going to, they're probably jumping ship to the other side is what I assume is happening with the girls. Um, uh, Yon Hobbit to Michael wrote that, this scene, this flashback scene happened when they're blood mixed and Gege Akutami confirmed the Toto flashback and this memory are unrelated. So that's just, I don't know. That's not, I mean, okay, but they kind of look the same, I guess, in the show itself, even if they're not. Well, even just thematically, the fact that yeah. this is the second time this has happened from our perspective. Yeah. It's a very strange, and again, it's one of those things where it's like, well, what do we do with that? Like, I don't know. Like, yeah. Is it, is like, is, is there going to be some kind of twist where, like, you know, Choso is actually, uh, what's his butt? The friend that died? Um, yeah. Is, you know, or like, like, why? I don't know. Um, Another interesting thing that uh, the chat is kind of talking about, and it makes, this is going to make me feel weird. So, I mean, I was annoyed with the narrator in this episode, like I've been annoyed with the narrator or the, the explainy crap in almost every episode. I wasn't going to rag on it this time because I talk about it almost every time. I'm sure you guys are sick of it. Um, and she pops up to explain stuff during the Choso um, Itadori fight completely unnecessarily when they're in the bathroom I'm like no dude we i would understand this without but then the blood mixing thing happens no narrator just completely left up to you to kind of figure out um people are saying if you watch it again it's a little more obvious um that might well, have and, been... they, and they do that thing with the narrators like and then um the narrator's like and then suddenly Choso's memory mind was filled with memories that he'd never before experienced. Right. And it's like, okay, but you're the narrator. You know why. Yeah. Like, like, don't act like it's this mysterious thing. Like, you know why. Yeah, and I didn't actually have that bit of narration. Yeah. I can look at this and see that these are weird memories because Yuji's in them and he's not supposed to be. I know he wasn't there and he didn't feed him spaghetti. So I don't need you to tell me that these are memories because, I mean, also the stylistic choice makes it real obvious that this is a, a memory. Like this is yeah, yeah, you know, employed yeah. in cinema all the time. Um, but uh, Nick Dupree says in the manga, the narration uses the same phrase to describe the Choso and Toto bits, a memory that never happened. Again, so, so it's like, it's, it's, if the intention is that they're not related, if, if Akutami confirmed that, that's like one of those writing things where it's like, I, I, as a viewer, don't know what I'm supposed to be latching on to as like, yeah. yeah like, is it just a joke to sort of yeah. like a joke to have Yuji there feeding him spaghetti? But I mean, he seems very distraught by the memory. So I thought it was like specific mind fuckery going on. Like, you know, part of some, something that, uh, 
Sukuna was doing to him to mess with him because he damaged Yuji so bad or, or something like that. But I don't know. Um, so yeah, uh, Nick says that it's kind of asinine that they're not related because it textually they're set up to very much look related. So yeah, yeah. I, I want to clarify. We're not saying that the flash, like I thought the flashback was really cool. Yes. It was a really cool part of the episode just as an, as an arc. Yeah. I think some, uh, and correct me if I'm, if I'm misrepresenting you, but I think some of our frustration lies with the fact that, you know, we're how many weeks into this thing? It feels like a lot. 13. I mean, not that, I mean, 13 so, into the new, new season, but so six, that would so six, like six or seven into yeah. the so and, we're like significant a significant ways into this arc and you know i've seen a lot of people say that it's the kind of thing that maybe plays a lot better when you can just watch the whole thing in like one or two sittings and you're not like stuck week after week going what is this leading to yeah um because it all feels like a bunch of different disparate little pieces that aren't really coming together yet yeah and that isn't to say that they won't I just, it's not as immediately enjoyable as the flashback arc was, where every episode I felt like was really satisfying, really interesting, and I felt like I knew where we were going. And for this I, arc, I've just been kind of like... Mm, I, I also want to say, I will bet 10 bucks right now that we get a movie cut of this. Shibuya incident movie cut. It's totally going to happen. There's going to be a compilation film of this arc. Like I. Oh, sure, yeah. yeah of course. It feels, yeah. And maybe that will end up being the the preferred way to to consume it or something um but for those of you who think who are thinking about waiting that might that's that's happening like i can't confirm it from like a source but it would be money left on the table not to it it makes sense so and maybe they would recut the five episodes for beforehand to like splice it in there somewhere i don't know so yeah i'm um I will continue to watch for like the spectacle, but yeah, I am not emotionally invested because Nanami is not in every episode. And so until yeah, if we had seven out, weeks of Nanami just beating the crap out of little twerps, then we'd be set. This would yeah, be right. Oh, best um, the spoilers for Detective Pikachu are now over. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Thumbs up. Thumbs I up. forgot to do that. Um, Thumbs up. I I feel I feel like there must be some person out there that's just been sitting here like this for like forty minutes. Like, yeah, they're like, holy shit, this game, this man! Pikachu game must be insane. Yeah. <laughs> it just uh, won't stop. Well, uh, we are almost out of time, but I told people we talked about Freren, so um, I do want to talk about Freren. Uh, this is episodes uh, five through seven. I don't think we're gonna like relay everything in episodes. Uh, it's really good seven. you guys should watch it it is really good you guys should watch it they've you know they're a trio now Farron has added uh stark who was a trainee under the dwarf to the party they kind of had a little bit of a falling out because he's so strong that's kind of what it boiled down to right i know i actually that was my i love that moment when you yeah. um so it was super quick. We don't have time to recap the whole thing, but yeah. Stark is the um, is a coward and has kind of sort of been living under the impression that is it Ison Ison yeah E I S E N yeah uh, that Ison the dwarf was disappointed in him, didn't think that he was strong enough to be a hero, and so he kind of screwed off to a village and has kind of lived a life as a coward who 
uh, pretends to be able to slay the big nasty dragon, but doesn't think he can do it. Yeah. And um, because so much of the episodes involving him were about, um, you know, coming to terms with fear and, you know, um, uh, being able to live with fear and learning how to, to use fear instead of, you know, um, seeing it as an obstacle. Um, I really loved the reveal where um, when you go back to that moment where Ison like struck a Stark and beat him down and Stark took that as, Oh my God, like he doesn't believe in me. He like, I disappointed him. I failed him. Yeah. And um, Ison says, well, no, I was afraid of him because he's so much stronger than I ever was. Yeah. And I, yeah. I didn't know. And like, granted, it's one of those moments where if you think about it too hard, you kind of wonder Ison could have just like maybe pulled him aside a few minutes later and said, Hey man, wow. um, you can like cleave mountains in half with your ax. So I don't know why you, you, you think I think you're weak. Yeah. But still on a thematic level, I thought it was really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And the dragon fight was, I would say really good. Um, both like, I, I love the stuff they do with the camera and the show in general. They're not afraid of like putting the camera on the ground and like mm -hmm. shooting upward, like just to frame a character or something like that. They're, they don't really have a lot of like static, like medium shots constantly in this show. Um, and when it came to the action where he, you know, he slays the dragon, um, it's pretty, pretty exciting scene overall. Um, it may be too animated. There's like, a, there is at least one or two parts where I was like, I, this might be too animated. If that makes sense. Like, well, it definitely, um, it, it felt like one of the segments where they got like a guest director to animate oh, like sure. that sequence yeah. because it, it doesn't really fall in with like the style of the show at all. Yeah. Um, you know, the so much of the show is about these lush watercolor backgrounds, and then all of a sudden, like the backgrounds basically disappear, and yeah. it's just like the character movement. Um, it it calls attention to itself in a way that I was like you said, very fun to watch, but yeah. also it felt a little um out of place almost. I don't know, yeah. like this is not yeah. an action show, right? Like there's right. not you know, there, we've had little glimpses of the battles that the characters have gotten into, but this isn't really a show you watch for spectacle. And then all of a sudden for like two minutes, it becomes, you know, attack on Titan levels of monster slaying, which yeah. I wasn't complaining, but yeah, it is a little weird. Yeah. I also like the addition of Stark in general, specifically for Fern, because now she has someone to commiserate with for whenever Freeman like wanders off because, oh, we're just going to, you know, hang out here for two years. And yeah. Fern's just like, I want to have a life. Can we... We're already on a 10 year thing. Can we not make it 12 just because the gates closed? Um, you know, that sort of stuff. And I think, I hope Stark and like Fern keep building sort of a, a rapport. That yeah, they're them, cute. Yeah, kind of be an alliance a little bit against Freren's Freren-ness. Um, yeah, one of, the, one of the scenes, speaking of like almost too animated. Yeah. Um, that really stuck out to me is when she visits him at the ice cream shop. Uh -huh. there's, like this, there's like this cut of her like scooching next to him drawing up a seat oh, yeah, like, yeah, drawing yeah. up her robe and I was just like this is like again it's like really really lovely um, but it's one of those things where it's like someone really liked animating her like sitting down <laughs> like you, you know what I mean where it's yeah. like you know um, I don't know it was, it was but it was good it was really good yeah yeah it was really good and I mean I also like that we keep encountering 
uh, these towns that like celebrate the heroes everywhere that she goes. I thought that little bit was also really touching where, you know, uh, Himmel stood for like another statue and he's like, well, one of the other reasons we're doing this is so you never feel alone because mm -hmm. they're all going to die and she's not, and she'll still be able to see them as she travels the world. So I thought that was, I thought that was lovely in particular. It gives um, me like reverse Kino's journey vibes uh -huh. where instead of like every town being this like melancholy, like twilight zone episode, like parable, yeah. every town is like this little opportunity to get a glimpse into what that original 10 year journey was like. Yeah. And you like learn more and more about the world and it, it, it gives you good vibes for the most part. Yeah. Except for that, uh, that family that got burned to death. That wasn't, that wasn't a happy memory. But yeah. the, all the other memories were pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I, that's the one thing that I think uh, we've, we're getting into in the latest episode and then it's going to continue on to the next one. And this episode actually ended with a cliffhanger where I was mad I didn't have the next episode to watch, which right. is usually cozy and kind of slow. We're like, oh, that's nice. But they've gotten to this uh, demon politics stuff and it leaves off right on a cliffhanger. Um I am really kind of interested in this because they, you know, Freren hates demons. Um, as far as she concerned, she's concerned, they're not, they, they lack any real humanity. They just sort of mask masquerade that way. And there's evidence of that in that really chilling sort of short story we get about them uh, taking mercy on a child demon. Uh, the village chief raises her, even though she has, eaten a child from the village earlier thinking they can you know be reasoned with because they speak the same language and all of this and uh you just find out that like their operating is i'm gonna i'm using the word sociopathic not clinically because i'm not able to do that and this word gets thrown around a lot but basically the problem solving that this demon kid comes up with is the family who who's mad at me because i ate their child would be happy if i gave them a new one so if I kill the village chief and give them his child, then they'll be cool with me. Yeah. And does that. Yes. And then we find out that the reason they call out for their mom is just because it's it's mimicking um it it preys on human compassion specifically yeah. to avoid death, which is all like very dark. Um very it's a it's a very there are obviously like things that we can unpack with it, but it, it's, I, I do appreciate it when fantasy stories actually try to show how a non-human species might have a fundamentally different way of like being. Yeah. Um, and I think this is a, it's an interesting way of doing that. Yeah. Showing like, you know, yeah. they, they do not look at the world necessarily in the same way that a human would by their very nature, at least so far as what we've seen. Yeah, and it very much speaks to the idea of like deliberately learning another culture specifically to exploit it as mm. opposed to finding similarities in, in order to come together. Uh, people have also pointed out that a lot of the characters in the show, their names are German with specific meanings. And I guess the main demon envoy, who's who's the blonde with long hair, his his name in German just means liar, which is, is very like biblical demon name, which mm. would I've given probably a demon, like the Hebrew word instead, but like similar idea. Um, yeah. I just thought it was interesting. I mean, it does kind of play with like, just, 
I don't know how I feel about just generally like culturally these these guys are just evil. Um, well, especially when you make it like a race thing, like mm. because and and this is where I liked and also was maybe going a little like uh oh because yeah. they have characters make the point like hey, these are sapient creatures. They can talk. They can reason. Mm-hmm. We should probably not indiscriminately murder them because we could instead be trying to seek peace with them, you know? Right. Um, But at least, and and my hope is that the show is kind of going to try and subvert this and add some nuance to this because, you know, D and D for instance, has gotten into some uh, conversations about the way it runs things because of the fact that, you know, for years and years, you have these races of sentient, intelligent beings that are just evil because they're evil, right? Right. And, and we're not just talking about like demons from the nether realm, but like orcs. Orcs are all stupid and they're all uh, bad and they eat babies. And it's like, eh, yeah. That, it, it cuts they do the little. same thing to drow too. To yes. Right. Like and they're it cuts underhanded. A, you can't yeah. trust them. They live underground and also, yeah. yeah. And I think there's a difference between like, oh, this culture has these like expectations that a lot of people in the culture maybe to a a more or less degree kind of adhere to like in star trek but the individuals are not bound by those you know like not every single vulcan in star trek is like an emotionless whatever yeah yeah. just the culture you know and so it's i don't know if i love the idea that these demons as some of them in this episode say like truly are just emotionless baby eating human killers. Yeah. And that's just all they ever will be. Right. Um, because. And so it's okay to kill them indiscriminately because they're incapable of yeah. ever doing anything good or, or coexisting with humans at all. Like that's, that's, a, that's yeah. a rough flag to plant down, you know? Um, so yeah, I guess we'll definitely have to see how it turns out. But like the main guy is already shown, preying on the empathy of one of the humans by pretending that his father was killed, even though he doesn't know what a father is. Cause they, they're all, um, I don't know how demons are birthed, but they apparently live solo from birth, which makes me think they don't have like a true infant stage. Maybe Something like alli- kind of like alligators, I guess, you know, they get, I- Although it's a lot of like interesting. Wait, wait, what do you mean like alligators? Don't aren't alligators like once they hatch, they're just kind of on their own? Like they don't like it, you know, they don't hang out with their mom for, for, for a while, right? They just kind of I think they hang out with their mom a little bit because I've Maybe definitely seen like videos of you know like alligator mom carrying around her alligator babies in her alligator mouth. Or maybe I'm thinking of sharks. So, you know, predatory sharks. animals, that, you know. Sharks, sharks. Yeah. I'm thinking of. yeah, yeah. I don't think although sharks. we got a lot of interesting fantasy race. Uh, biology. Fearon talks about how, yeah, oh yeah, elves, um, we have no real romantic inclinations and we don't really care about sex, so we're a doomed yeah, species. Yeah, so how? Like, <laughs> do they come from eggs? Do they sprout from the ground? Are they made from spores? Like, I have questions. Maybe it's a Lord of the Rings thing, where they got, like, maybe God put them, put them on Earth for a while. Oh, okay, and now they're just roaming around, they're like Nephilim. I guess. But, but, it, but her, her line, her I don't know. Her dialogue implies that elves can procreate. Yeah. They just choose not to, which would be weird if they were a created race. Like, right. You know. Like just from a biological perspective, I mean, 
you know, they're quietly going extinct is what she says. I'm like, well, that could be because no one. I guess pandas talk. have that problem too. But... <laughs> pandas do have that problem. So... so maybe elves are just the pandas of this world, you know, or maybe, maybe after you've lived for so long, in a world like this, like the desire is already low. And then it's like, why would I subject to something, someone else to this eternity? I mean, maybe the um, gestation cycle for elves is like a hundred years. Oh know? yeah. What if you're oh, pregnant, I... like really long time. Yeah. Uh, Jan put in there, there's just one really horny generation and that made all the elves and then they were done. <laughs> or is it like, is it like Star Trek where like maybe once every 5,000 years, all the elves go into heat and they yeah. like, flip out and just bang like crazy but then yeah get some weird omegaverse shit going on or something i mean i guess it's true that like if you're a race of like borderline immortal magical beings if you could just procreate ad infinitum it'd be like deer eating up all the leaves in the forest right like they would yeah i mean no yeah there's there's just there's a, there's a lot to unpack from that specifically about you know how they existed in the past i could very well see if they're aromantic not really interested in the like in the whole bit that goes along with usually choosing to have a kid just them setting aside a holiday once every five years and they're just like all right guys for the good of the race you know we're get getting the together. Let's we, we just we get together, we drink a lot or something. You don't have to talk to anyone afterwards, you're just done, and then you go. They, all, they, all, they do the they have that sheet with the hole cut in the middle where it's like we don't even have to make a big to-do. Like, we'll we'll keep our long johns on. Yeah. We'll avoid direct eye contact. No one talk. Yeah. Oh no. Um yeah. So Anyway, yeah, the show's still probably one of the most interesting ones I've watched. Uh, maybe next week, instead of checking in on this one, let's check in on Apothecary Diaries because I need to set some time aside to yeah. check that one out too. And that one yeah. looks pretty good. Just have sort of a rotating thing going. Um, I mean, there's enough to watch this season. Uh, well, also, definitely. by the time next show comes out, uh, Pluto will be out because Pluto's coming out in like oh, two yeah. days. That's true. That's true. Um, I also need to talk about Pluto. We'll need to talk about Pluto. Um, set some time aside. I also want to let everyone know that I'm not expecting us to be here next Tuesday because it is Halloween. And as the mom of ANN, I go trick or treating with my children. Gotta go trick or treating. So the only way that's happening is if like we do a late show or something, but just, you know, I don't know, being an excuse to wear a costume while we talk, though, which would be fun. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'll get back to you all, see if I can figure something out. See okay. if we can, we can make things work. But yeah, um, I'll be doing reviews of Pluto. Most likely the format of that on ANN is that I'm going to post one every single day. And then you can, you know, try and devour it that way. Because if I did it every week, you guys would be done with it. And then no one will listen to my hot takes anymore. So <laughs> um, looking forward to that. See you guys all next. Well, maybe next week. <laughs> Sorry, I'm like on autopilot. Uh, Tuesday, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. We'll see you all then. Um, be nice to each other until then, though. Be cool. Be cool. Bye. Bye.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.